for our diving Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day everyone and welcome to raw recovery a trudging together podcast um so i want to apologize i know it's been a little bit but we've had some things going on um so today we're bringing on a friend uh jill and i have gotten to know Anne very well um but here again you guys know me i don't like to give things away right and sometimes it could be hard to come on and tell your story so we do whatever we can to make you feel comfortable. Um, it's, it's, so it's your show. So if you're ever deciding to come on, remember, it's your show and we will do what we can. So, so Anne decided that she wanted to come on with us today because we wanted to put a podcast out because people are missing us. So Anne, thank you so much for doing this on short notice and taking your time today. Thank you for having yeah. me. Um, Oh, welcome to the show, Net. And you're in Florida, right? I'm all in Florida right now. Yeah. You you are in Florida. So, um, and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, well, I'm a Colorado native. I was born and raised in Colorado. Okay. Um, I, I was actually born way up in the mountains in Silver Bloom. Oh. Colorado, which yeah. is past Georgetown, mm-hmm. about nine thousand feet. Um. Born early, uh, born with severe neurological problems, and okay. um, at the time, while my mother was pregnant with me, she had decided to join um, what I, I call a fundamentalist cult. Um, okay. She had been raised Catholic, and she'd gone on the other way, and had joined this crazy cult and they're wow. not really big on modern medicine. So okay. she had me about two months early at home. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we lived in Silver Plume and then we moved to Morrison when I was about three. And she had another baby when I was three. My younger brother came along and uh I, I was kind of on my own at that point. He was a really grumpy baby and I had <laughs> two older brothers that were okay. five and six years older than me. And she was kind of like, you know, go play with your brothers. Yeah. Were you the only girl hair. in the family? I was for 10 years. I've okay. got five brothers, five brothers and a sister now. Okay. All right. So for a while I was the only girl and um, I don't think I ever thought of myself as a kid which Mm. is interesting to say, but I I had Mm -hmm. some pretty grown-up responsibilities pretty young in life. Um, I started taking care of my younger siblings when I was, well, when my sister was born, I was 10, and I started doing the child rearing and um, cooking and cleaning, and uh, yeah, my parents took me out of school so I could help around the house full-time because they were in doesn't believe in higher education okay so um yeah that was my life I learned how to be a good wife I guess and mom okay and um that that cult that gave me you know I grew up in it and uh 
it gave me a really bad taste of religion and God in my life. Certainly. They, uh, they kicked me out when I was about 14. Okay. I got, I got kicked out for being promiscuous. Um, okay. Well, 14, and, heck. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and you haven't really been given, you know, it didn't really sound like your mom gave you the social skills that you needed to deal with boys. No, she didn't. And they basically said, if you think about sex, you might as well have had it. So I was like, well. Oh, wow. That's pretty extreme. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I was promiscuous and there was, there was a lot of abuse in my childhood, sexual abuse and neglect. And that leads to early promiscuity as well. Sure. I think. Um, So when that happened, she turned me into the leaders of the organization and they kicked me out. Okay. And I want to say good. Well, it was good, but it was also really traumatic because mm-hmm. when they kick you out, they have to treat you. Everybody in that religion has to treat you like you're basically dead. No one's yeah. allowed to talk well, to you. Well, isn't it like an excommunication? Yeah, it's like they excommunicate communicate you yeah which is just which is just another word for x for killing somebody excommunicating is yeah it just the physical part doesn't die but the rest of it you're considered death how so everybody i knew you know we weren't allowed to have any friends or associates outside of that religion or that cult so i lost everybody i knew wow Um, all my friends and all kids I babysat for and everybody just mm-hmm. stopped talking to me so I was like fuck this I'm not going anymore and I, I quit going and okay luckily my my family eventually followed me out they quit going as well okay um so that was kind of like you know when I left that I went really far away from God yeah and you know that was kind of my childhood I I was very sheltered we weren't allowed to watch rated R movies or even rated PG-13 movies. Um, okay. We weren't allowed to watch the Smurfs because they were demonic. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was like not allowed to watch the news, not allowed to like know anything about the outside world. So I was very, okay. very sheltered. Like, um, And then a month after I turned 17, I had to marry the boy I had sex with at 14. Okay. And um, I have to say, around the time I was 14 is when I took my first drink. Okay. And uh, I drank like an alcoholic. The first time I ever drank, I uh, had a friend that was house-sitting a house, and they had a bar in the house up in Evergreen. Okay. And I thought it would be really fun to go behind the bar and take a sip of every bottle that was, you know, in the speed rack. Whoa. So I took a sip of vodka and I took a sip of tequila and I took a sip of whatever else was in the in the line. And then <laughs> I can remember running around like crazy lady for like 20 minutes and then vomiting for the yep. next like 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a normal person that would like discourage you from wanting to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, not us. Like, well, that was bad, but not me. I, no. I, I couldn't wait to like get drunk again yeah that was the best 20 minutes of my life are you kidding me (laughs) it was so fun (laughs) i want more 20 minutes (laughs) 
so I didn't really like drink a whole ton like while I was still living at home because I was busy taking care of kids and cleaning and cooking and um but my mother was an addict okay my dad was an alcoholic okay so I had those things modeled for me pretty well Mm -hmm. growing up um but after I got married at 18 uh which is not old enough to get married if you ask me nope i married this guy that was a total jerk and he was very abusive and he was also in a very violent um skinhead gang okay and so i went from being this sheltered jehovah's witness girl to being in this very violent gang and living in denver i mean i grew up in golden and I was living on like South Federal in Denver and wow. witnessing violence like you can't even see in movies. Yeah. No, and if you don't mind me asking, because I kind of I kind of went through something like that too, where you know I was kind of a naive kid, and then I was thrown into a situation where I suddenly had to be in survival mode, and that was scary, man. I still, I mean, but I wanted my alcohol. I still wanted what I wanted, you know? So it's kind of weird how our stories are kind of connecting that way. Yeah. I mean, alcohol is like a survival coping mechanism for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to cope with all the scary things I was seeing. And I've never been a violent person. And um, I didn't really get along well with the skinheads. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, I I was really angry with them. And I've always had kind of a big mouth. And um, Mm -hmm. they went and got in a really big fight. And it was like the most violent thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm sorry. Yeah, I was really mad at them afterwards. I'm like, why did you do that? That was so stupid. Like, Mm -hmm. why the hell did you do that? And they were like, shut up, Winch, and go get us a beer. Yeah. And I ended up sneaking out the kitchen door at that point with my girlfriend, mm-hmm. thinking I might be in danger. And um, while I was trying to leave, one of the scariest men I've ever known in my life, he was a jujitsu master, and he was just crazy. He came after me and held a knife to my throat. And he said, I should kill you now, bitch, you mouthy bitch. I'm going to slit your throat. I'm going to kill you right now. And I'm like, I didn't know it then, but God was working in my life. Yeah. For some reason, he just all of a sudden took the knife down and walked away. Hmm. And I lived another day. Yeah. Um, Thank God. But I didn't stay married to that guy for very long. I, um, (laughs) I ended up divorcing him at 19. Okay. And, um getting a taste of freedom for the first time in my life okay yeah uh, huh? because now you're yeah. not married you ain't got the parents hanging over you yeah I went kind of I went pretty crazy okay I, um, I went I was going to raves and uh I basically did every drug I could get my hands on mm-hmm. they're easy <laughs> to find at like raves partying oh uh-huh. yeah um and I have to be honest, it was a lot of fun at that point in my life. It was mm-hmm. like, this is great. This is life. This is freedom. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it ended, it, like, luckily it ended, I think, even though I, I was an agnostic at that point, you know, God was in my life because um, 
I got pregnant with my daughter at 20. Okay. And it was not what I wanted at all in life. Okay. Not what I was planning on having happen. But because of that, I, I quit the partying life and okay. I stopped smoking and I quit drinking and I quit doing all the drugs I was doing and took care of myself because I, mm-hmm. I had a baby in me. So what other choice did I have, you know? Yep. <laughs> um, but the Good amazing thing is after I had her, I thought my tolerance would have shot like way down. Uh. I'd taken <laughs> this like year off from drinking and I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a cheap date now. <laughs> <laughs> no nope. but that didn't happen no it didn't I just picked up right where I left off yeah. um you know I took a break while I was pregnant and nursing and then I'm like cool I can drink again and I just picked up right where I left off and then um our life took us to New Jersey okay of all places where I became a bartender <laughs> and that life is all about drinking Oh, yeah. And the occasional line of Coke. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of like drinking is part of the job, you know? Yes, it is. That's why I was a horrible bartender. I was usually <laughs> drunk. <laughs> what did you want to get? I don't know. Yeah, I was a horrible bartender. <laughs> See, I couldn't drink till after I stopped working, but I could drink for uh, free in like all of the bars in town. So, Sure. You know, I, I always, I started to block out drink. I started blocking out drinking when I was in my twenties. Okay. I was that in Detroit being a bartender? Is that, is that where that kind of started the blocking out? Yeah, it was in New Jersey. Okay. I worked at a I said Detroit, bar. didn't I? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just, I used to throw up when I drank too much and I, I quit throwing up. And so I just started blocking out, but I was lucky I had Zoe's dad with me all the time because I was yeah. always, he always made sure I got home safe, thank God. Um, so I didn't really think I had a drinking problem. I just thought I was pretty normal. Okay. Um, until I got to be in like my, you know, about 28. And um, I dealt with like physical pain and whatnot in my body, like pretty much my whole life. Mm-hmm. But at 28, I got so sick, I, I couldn't work anymore as okay. a bartender. All right. And they didn't know what was wrong with me. So I I was having migraines as well. And this doctor just started putting me on a bunch of different opiates. I had like Oxycontin and okay. fentanyl. And then he gave me like sleeping pills. And I'm, I'm surprised I lived with what he put me on he got me yeah. addicted to benzodiazepines and you know those things are 100 percent addictive yeah and absolutely i was drinking at the same time and yeah i think all of us find the you know i went through that too where i was drinking but the drinking wasn't enough but i had an oxy on top of that oh lord we're back to that tw- we're back to our 20 minutes <laughs> you yep. know, <laughs> for 20, 20 minutes, minutes of fun and it worked for a little bit and I a month maybe it worked and it and it stopped yeah the the pills actually didn't get rid of my physical pain but what I didn't know is that I had this like horrible like huge just hole inside my soul like there mm-hmm. was a lot of emotional pain that I was 
trying to numb. Um, the big book talks about it in one of the chapters where like, I found consciousness intolerable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there were days I would have um, rather been asleep than in my own mind. Yep. So I would take the but alcohol to numb I didn't that. I think I had a problem. Yeah. Until, you know, I got to, I did get to the point with the pills where I'm like, okay, you know, I had a couple incidents where I was, uh, my martini glass would transfer to a Nalgy bottle. And okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd take the dog for a walk and uh, there was a couple, there was twice that the paramedics arrived and I was DOA. Wow. I was actually dead when they got there. Okay. And so was, was that from drinking thought, too much? Was it your body it was just a combination shut? Okay. Of the pills and the drinking. Got it. Okay. That scared me because yeah. I, I still had a little kid and I, twice. I, I didn't want that. Yeah, twice. So I was like, all right, you know, I started going to NA at that point, Okay. but I was living in Aurora and I still had a brand new car and I still, I had a job. So I was working as an assistant kindergarten teacher. Okay. Um, and I didn't think I was bad enough to go to the NA, okay. but I, I had, I thought I had a problem. I knew I had a problem. Um, there was a couple of times I, I begged my parents to put me in the rehab okay. and they didn't, they didn't want to help me out. Um, but there came a time about when I was like in my early thirties where I, I, um, I would, you know, I'd try to quit drinking. I'd be able to quit drinking or I'd be able to get off all the pills, but I could never do both. Okay. And there just came a time where like, I was just like, you know, I wanted to, to get sober so I went and stayed with my parents no I, I gotta back up okay so around in my early 30s I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis okay and at that point I, I kind of got the fuck it yeah um I felt like relieved to know that there was something really wrong with me because mm -hmm. doctors have been telling me for decades like it was in my head and like I was just trying to get attention and, yeah. you know, I, but I actually had this really serious problem, Yeah. but I, I also had been like trying to be the good wife and like do all the bills and all the shopping and like keep everything going. And I just like stopped doing everything. Okay. Yeah. So my beautiful life kind of definitely fell apart. All right. And do you mind well, if I explain the fuckets to some people here? Go, go for it. it. Means we're done. We no longer care. We're going. We now is the plan. We're going to drink and drug ourselves into oblivion. That's the fuckets. Means we don't care what's going to happen. Exactly. Well, and at the same time, the same year, my um, partner broke his back twice in wow. our family Ouch. vacation. Okay. And then in the same, the same year, my daughter, who's on the spectrum for autism, was having suicide ideation, and she had to go to Children's Psychiatric Hospital. Okay. So it was like all of that happened at once. Wow. And my family was nowhere to be found. They were in my life, and then they just disappeared. They just, okay. All that happened. Yeah, when, it, when, when the 
rubber met the road, they were gone. Yep. The second we needed help and we weren't just like, you know, fine and okay. Yeah. They were just gone. Um, maybe, really maybe hurt. they didn't know, maybe they didn't know how to help because they're caught in their own, you know, caught up in their own disease too. And maybe if they come along and help you, then they're going to have to admit about theirs too. You know, they don't, they're going to have to go to family therapy with you and stuff. So I think there was a, probably a fear there maybe. Yeah. I mean, I had watched, I'd watched my dad, like when I was 19 and I had stayed with my parents for a little while. Um, my mom had been in Al-Anon and she had told my dad that he was an alcoholic and he needed to go to AA mm -hmm. or move out. And I just left my first husband. So I watched my dad get sober. Okay. Um, he's been sober for 22 years now. Cool. I'm glad I was wrong. <laughs> I love it when I'm wrong about stuff like that. That that's cool. I'm glad, I'm glad to, that, you know, he's got some time under his belt. So. Yeah, they, you know, it's weird. They they both have time in recovery, but they they didn't really want me to recover. Um, I remember there was a time I stayed with my parents for a couple of months and I, I was going to NA with my mom and it just wasn't working. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't anonymous. And okay. she already had them as her people and... Um, they already knew all about me. <laughs> ah, that probably felt pretty darn uncomfortable. It was a, it felt like a setup. Yeah, it would for me too. I wouldn't want, Yeah. even now, I wouldn't want to be there. Nope. That would nope. be crossing one of my boundaries. I'd be gone. Yep. So that didn't work out. And I, I was like staying with my parents and my dad kept asking me, so are, are you totally fucked yet? And I'd be like, what did you just say to me? He's like, oh, are you totally fucked yet? Every morning he'd look at me and he'd be like, are you totally fucked yet? And I just thought, God, why are you being so mean? But he was, he was really trying to help me get to step one. Yeah. Tough love. Mm -hmm. um, and at one point he said, why don't you try AA? Yeah. So I was like, dad, I can't go to AA. I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> but I was. I'm a druggie. Um, I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. And um, I also told him, you know, I can't go to AA. I don't believe in God. Like, what are you talking about? I don't yeah. believe in God. I don't want to believe in God. I can't go to AA. And he said to me, you know, you don't have to believe in God. You just have to be willing to believe that there's something more powerful than you in nice. this universe. Yeah. So I'm like, hmm. I thought about that. And uh, we moved out of staying with my parents and we went and stayed with some cousins way up north in North Colorado in Johnstown. Okay. And uh, so suddenly, went on. suddenly I have a I have a hankering for a for a Cinnabon now. Oh, I know. Oh. <laughs> they have meetings oh. at that place. They have Do meetings they? at that truck. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Johnson's Corner. They have AA meetings there. Oh man, I better go get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we were living with his cousins. That went disastrously wrong because I was still drinking. Okay. Um, I actually got caught stealing change from them so I could go buy cigarettes mm -hmm. 
And uh, so they kicked us out. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we started staying with another friend in Johnstown. And her and I continued drinking for a little bit, but she actually got our work to pay for her to go to like this recovery resort thing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of was like, you know, why don't we like stop drinking and save money for Christmas? And uh, Uh that was like my, my plan. And um, so I quit drinking December 1st of, 2013 is my sobriety date. Wow. Okay. And I I walked into my my first AA meeting in Johnstown, and I said, if they say God one fucking time, I'm out of there. <laughs> I'm <laughs> leaving. <laughs> and I was hoping they did say it because I didn't want to be there at all. Yeah. I mean, no one grows up and is like, hey, I want to go to AA when I grow up. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> But it was amazing because nobody said God once. What? Wow. (laughs) God got you good. God got me really good. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to stay. And what really got me in that meeting was it was the first time I felt unconditional love from anybody. Wow. These people like well, like one one of one of the women said, "We'll love you until you love yourself. Keep mm-hmm. coming back." And she meant it. Yeah. And so I I kept going back. Um, I was kind of hooked after that first meeting. I didn't know about what I was gonna do, but I was hopeful. Yeah. Just a little bit of hope came into my life after mm-hmm. that It's amazing how much hope, okay, even just a little bit of hope, it, it's amazing how much it can do for you. It can change your whole attitude. Yeah, and it's amazing what the fellows in AA can do, like when they say the newcomer is the most important person in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so true because... I just felt engulfed in this group of people that just like wanted me to be there. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted to know if I was coming back. Yeah. And, and like, it feels what? a little Nobody odd, huh? Around. What are you guys yeah. wrong with you guys? <laughs> I'm not used to people saying, Oh yeah, please come back. No, usually it's <laughs> exactly. like, please don't come back. You know, but in AA, we don't, we don't shoot our wounded. You know, no, we don't. And, um, they only had three meetings a week in that town. And okay. I kept hearing the 90 and 90 days and um, kind of a perfectionist. So I, you know, I wanted to do it, it right. Sure. So I found a friend and, you know, we started going to meetings in other towns that were in the area. And I did more than 90 and 90. Yep. Um, it was pretty incredible. The, um, just hearing different people in new meetings is I think something really important for new people. Yeah. Like to like go to different meetings. Yeah. Try a few of them out. Absolutely. Cause you're going to hear different types of sobriety too. Right. And I, I really feel like, especially when we're new, God talks to us through the people in the rooms. Yeah. Um, Like I heard something at a, a meeting. I was still stuck on the God thing and, 
I heard this one man talk about how he could he would do yoga and then he would meditate. Mm-hmm. And to me, that felt like something I could work, I could try. Yeah. It wasn't too like religious or anything and maybe see if it worked. And <laughs> then there's the part in the big book that talks about how we alcoholics are undisciplined people. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not undisciplined. <laughs> I'm going to do <laughs> yoga every day. And, um, but I'll so I did. You. <laughs> and, uh, that's how I got to kind of start, start praying, you know, um, and actually talking to God. I got a sponsor right away who was amazing. We talked every day. Yeah. Every day. Um, and we started going through the steps right away. Um, because that's the way, I mean, they were pretty serious about recovery in Johnstown, Colorado. There was also Mm -hmm. a man that uh, I friended. He was my first friend in AA. He had about 40 years of sobriety. And uh, I think he's still up there. He does the meetings at Johnson's Corner. Okay. And he got me sharing meetings as soon as I had 30 or three months of sobriety. He's like, you're going to share these meetings. So he got me in the service right away and that was really good for me. Yeah. It was really good for me. Um, I've gone back since then to those meetings at the Johnson's Corner Truck Stop, and they're, they're huge now. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that neat, though? And, and you go back, and a lot of those same people are probably probably still there, too. Your friends are still there. Yep. JR is still there, and um, he actually ended up knowing my dad oh. from, like, Golden uh-huh. My dad made him gingerbread houses like, <laughs> when I was growing up. My dad was a pastry chef. So, ah, okay. Um, mm-hmm. So he was my first friend and he gave me like a job picking up dog poop in his yard. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it gave me something to do. It gave me accountability to somebody. There you go. Um, And it helped me out with money a little bit. You know, I was living mm-hmm. in my, by myself. Um, I didn't mention that my partner Zoe's dad, my daughter's dad, uh, left the month after I got sober. He moved okay. out to Florida to save money, I guess, and um, he didn't end up coming back. Okay. But that was a god thing too, because at okay. the time I I couldn't stay sober with him in my life. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So I was by myself in Johnstown with a little girl, with a teenager that was kind of sick still and I just found so much support and love and what really changed my mind about the whole God thing was the chapter in the big book we agnostics Mm -hmm. I felt like they wrote that chapter for me (laughs) (laughs) I was like what how do they know me how did they even write this before I was born how could they even (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, there was a line that, that says something like, um, who am I to say or believe there is no God? Yeah. And it talks about how mankind has believed in a higher power since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they used to say there was nothing left for us to do, but either pick up the spiritual toolkit or go on 
as I was until the bitter end. And that was like initially a really hard choice for me. Okay. Because I thought religion and spirituality were the same thing. Sure. Yeah. It can, and and it can seem, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they are much different. There's a lot of different versions out there. Um, I just don't like the ones that cut down religion. Cause I think religion has its place and it's proper place. You know, that's okay. I think religion is like, it's great for the people. I mean, I, I, I've gone all the way from being an agnostic back to being a Christian and it's all okay. because of AA. It's all Fantastic. because of AA. Yeah. Um, I basically have had to change my mind about everything, everything. I ever thought. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's but, another line in the big book I love that says nothing is, will ensure a man's ignorance such as um, so much as judgment prior to investigation. Yeah. And I, I remember when I came in that I said I would be open-minded and willing. Yeah. And honest. Yep. And go to any length. So when I did the third step with my sponsor for the first time, it felt really weird. We were holding hands and we got on our knees. And I, was uh-huh. like, I don't know about this. It sounds still yeah. religious. <laughs> <laughs> And we said the third step prayer. Yeah. And she's like, even if you don't understand what the words mean, it's still really effective. It'll still have effect in your life. Mm-hmm. And she was right. Um, I still say that prayer every day. I'm, me too. I'm a big third step prayer guy. Said it before I came on here with you. <laughs> yeah. I like to say it in the morning too. And it's... I. I had a sponsee once that didn't want to memorize it. And I'm like, it's only three sentences. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you can Willing to go to any length, people. It's just, <laughs> it's just a prayer. It's all right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I did what they suggest. I took the suggestions that were given to me. Um, yep. Sometimes too many of them. But um, I worked the steps with a sponsor. Um and I, I felt immediate effects from doing those steps. Good. You know, when I got to the, the fifth, sixth, and seventh step, um, I felt an incredible spiritual change mm-hmm. after, like, you know, sitting in for an hour and asking God to remove all my defects of character. Mm-hmm. I walked out of that building, and it was like the light was different. And... Uh- I felt like all this weight that I had on my shoulders had just been miraculously lifted off my shoulders. I felt like that. I felt like that step was the grass is green now step. That's when I discovered that I actually could start seeing colors again. um, And I could see the forest for the trees now. I could see the beauty around me where before I couldn't see any of it. I agree. That's how I felt too. And I, you know, I've been suffering from horrendous nightmares my entire life. Mm-hmm. And after I did those steps, they went away. Wow. God took them away from me. I don't wow. have them anymore. Good on you. Yeah. You know, it, and it, that's hard work. And that's kind of because what you're talking about there is trauma, which means you did some work. That means that you kind of went beyond too and probably saw somebody 
to work through those things or you used some of your tools to work through that? I'm still kind of using those tools, you know, sure. um, in the four years, I mean, I've been in AA seven years now and I went through those steps three times uh -huh. with a sponsor. And after the, the third time I went through the steps with my sponsor, Pamela, she's such a sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, I even didn't like people from Texas and I had to change my mind about that because woman I love more than anything is a Texan okay <laughs> and <laughs> she's taught me so much in life and I'm so grateful to all the women who have loved me like a mother mm -hmm. and taken me through the steps and then all the women that have been courageous enough to ask me to be their sponsor have also helped me just as much as the women that have sponsored me um she said after I worked the steps for the third time, she said, I think now you should work on your emotional sobriety. Yep. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that yet. I was still really, really, um, really unhappy. Okay. And my family life hadn't gotten better. It gotten worse. Okay. And amazingly enough, like that week, I went to an AA speaker meeting and you know how they do we have a saying in AA if you stick around long enough you'll hear somebody else tell your story yep I hadn't heard my story in four years no one had said <laughs> anything close to my story okay and I went to the speaker meeting that night and suddenly there was a woman there and she was sharing a story that was a lot like mine mm -hmm. And I remember just crying the entire time she was sharing. Um, and she shared about another 12-step program called ACA. Yep. Fantastic program. Yep. Adult Children Adult. of Alcoholics, for people that don't know. Yep. And, um, and you know, you don't have to have alcoholism or addiction in your, in your family to, to be an adult children of alcoholics. No, you don't. That That's right. And I think a lot of people misunderstand um, these groups. I mean, you don't even need to be alcoholic and go to go to AA. You just have to want to quit drinking. <laughs> and I, look, I know a lot of quote unquote normies that go to twelve step groups because uh, just because of our the message that we carry and how we handle ourselves. You know, so everything, all the principles we can practice everybody can practice it you know this isn't uh this isn't some secret that we keep held close to us because we're alcoholics no <laughs> so it was written out in the bible for us thousands of years ago actually so yep i have a friend that calls the the big the aa book a guidebook to humanity yeah it's like it's a great way to put it. it yeah <laughs> it would be perfect because it gives you all the it's like spiritual kindergarten you know it yeah so, lays it all out for you. so what what's life like for you today? Um, I have gotten a, like I've been in ACA for three years now. Okay. And um, I just recently had my prayers answered again, um, because now I, I talk to God every day. Mm -hmm. Him and I are like really close. <laughs> um, he's he's my he's like my actual like i talk to him like i would talk to a dad and a mom yeah at the same time 
And um, I have just recently um, gotten a sponsor in ACA, finally. Wow. <laughs> Which I'm excited about. Yeah, good job. Um, and even though I've been in like meetings for three years, I'm just now starting to work the steps with a sponsor. That's, a, that's okay. You know, it's okay to give yourself time. We got time. We got time. And they even say like when I went into ACA the first time and they have a red book instead of a blue book. And um, mm -hmm. it's a lot bigger than the blue book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Now I got it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and um, I have a lot, a lot today in my life. You know, I have so many tools that I got. I was given an AA. Mm -hmm. AA led me back to God and then it led me to ACA okay and right now I'm just in this process where I'm ready to like fix the emotional stuff that still kind of feels like it's chaining me down yeah from my past yep yeah and that's the next course and in, in what you're going through is um you know, and I say this quite often, you know, you, we put ourselves through a lot of stuff with our drinking and our drugging. So for us to come out, you know, if you come out of it with no trauma, I'm actually going to be very surprised. Or you're yeah. lying. One of the two. <laughs> yeah, you're lying. <laughs> you're full, yeah, you're full of crap. Uh, men especially have a hard time with that. Um, but yes, um, coming to the fact where I am the person, you know, everything starts and ends with me, you know, which includes my emotional sobriety and my emotional sobriety is, you know, how I act with other people, what I do, it has to do with boundaries, it has to do with a lot of different things, but mostly what emotional sobriety comes down to is not relying on other people for your own emotions. Right. And not relying on other people. I mean, I just wasn't shown how to be in a healthy relationship. Yeah. Or what healthy love looks like. Sure. Or how to love myself even. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot in AA. I got through a lot. So of insobriety that I didn't even expect would happen in my life. You know, I was homeless a couple of times in sobriety sure. and I've been in the hospital, in and out of the hospital, and mm -hmm. there's just nothing. It gives you the tools to deal with life on life's terms. Absolutely. And life and on life's terms is going to beat you down. It is without, without like, you know, a higher power and without relying on the fact that, you know, God's got a plan. Yeah. And having some hope and faith in that oh gosh hope is like the biggest thing i'm like a hope junkie now <laughs> i can be addicted to anything but i just <laughs> hope is good to be having addicted hope to. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, that's like, what, I, 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 go ahead I'm, i was just gonna say i like to do that with anybody i come across no matter who i'm talking to is i like to be able to provide some hope at the end man because you know when you walk away from a conversation there was hope involved you just feel a lot better about things. Well, yeah, you knowing, definitely do. Yeah, knowing this isn't a forever situation is is a good thing. You know, and knowing our 
knowing knowing our boundaries are our limitations, understanding those and then acting accordingly. Definitely. And I've gotten to go from being in this state where I was like fear, fuck everything and run Mm -hmm. to face everything and recover. Yeah. And I have a lot more compassion for myself and for others. Good on you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and there again, we can't transmit something that without we don't have. Right. So I love my wife dearly. But I couldn't love her the way that she wanted to be loved until I learned how to love myself. Once I was able to do that, then I was able to share love because I understood it. See, as a man, I never understood that love was unconditional. I mean, I knew that I'd heard it but I had never really experienced it. Yeah, I'm still learning how to um, be in a relationship. And and I think, I know working these steps in ACA is going to be tr- just a huge transformation. Oh, yeah. And I'm super excited about it um, because that's what the steps do. When we work them, they change us. Yeah. They change us into better humans exactly and and that's what it's about it's all about progress right not not perfection i'm i'm constantly running around my house yelling yay progress (laughs) because if it wasn't for progress i probably wouldn't have anything to look forward to (laughs) so is there anything else that you would like to add before before we wrap up I guess I just, I would just like to say, you know, like, no matter who you are, like what you believe, what you don't believe, what your background is, like, if if you're having a problem with drinking or without with drugs or any problem, like, there's a solution, there's an easier, softer way. And your life is worth more than you think it is. You know, it's, it's, there is a higher power that wants you to be happy. Absolutely. Being miserable is a choice. Yeah. You can choose happiness no matter where we are, what we are. Hallelujah. Yes. Yeah. And you know, what, what I really got out of, out of your story was that, um, was that, that you can even go through a cult and literally hate God for what he's doing to you and change that around. So, and I think a lot of people needed to hear that. Um, For mine was the opposite. I was afraid God wasn't going to take me back. So I was on the other spectrum. So I love it when people come on, because, you know, we all have different experiences. So I think it was pretty important for a lot of people to hear um, that you would went through that, you know, and you had, and for good reason too, those were convictions that you were brought up with, you know, so good on you to make that change and to understand yeah, there's, that. There's even people in AA that are still agnostic. I mean, you don't sure. have to believe in the God I chose to believe in. No. You get to choose whatever God you want. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, Absolutely. it's, up, to, it's up to each individual. Yeah. And, and that's what's cool about it. You know, I have my higher power. You can't have him. No. I'll loan him to you for a minute, but no. Uh, but 
that's what's cool is AA taught me how to have a relationship with my higher power. Now, because yep. that was my first successful relationship. Now I treat all of my relationships that way. So I treat my wife. That's how I treat Jill, our promoter. I Everybody that I come across, that's how I treat them. Um, and it works very, very God well. God is love. Yeah. And according to the Beatles, all we need is love, right? <laughs> all we need is love. <laughs> all right. I wanted to wrap up here with your one of your favorite parts in the big book. And then we're going to wrap this up. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is a proof, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Right? All right, thank guys. Thank you for reading that. <laughs> you are absolutely welcome. And thank you for being on today and taking your time. Um, you know, when everybody appreciates you coming on it and doing this with us. And I want to thank pleasure. you again. So, all right, guys. Um, thank you for being a part of, um, you know, like we were saying, you know, everybody kind of has a different story. So if you're not hearing your story here, wait a little bit hit more speaker meetings or listen to some more podcasts. Heck, it took, it took Anne four years for her to find her story, but I'm going to tell you something. She didn't stop looking. She didn't give up. She stuck around until the miracle happened. I love you guys. Keep coming Thank back. You, Thank you, Anne. I love you. Love you, Jill. <laughs> Jill's on here, guys. All right, guys. You have a, have a great day. Well, I can't got to do my line, right? Peace out. I love you and have a day. Bye, guys.